From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and it's another big week for these debt limit talks. We are now expecting a, a, a second White House meeting with the president and congressional leaders to try to reach a deal on lifting the debt limit, we think, on Tuesday. It's not been finalized, but that the president suggested that's when they plan to meet. There's been a furious weekend of uh, negotiating among staff as we tape here on Monday. So we're right at a crunch point, I think, for for trying to reach a deal. And the clock is ticking because they're facing that June 1 deadline that the Treasury Secretary set uh, for when the debt limit could be breached and the government can't pay its bills anymore. So this is the crunch time. We want to talk about that and we want to talk about... Uh, the farm bill, there was a, another White House meeting to t- talk about the new farm bill that they need by the end of September, I believe, to reauthorize all farm programs. There's a big fight about food stamps. That's part of that that we want to talk about. Joining me to talk about all of that, two of our reporters, Laura Weiss, who covers tax policy at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here again, Laura. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. And making her debut on the Budget Podcast, Ellen Ferguson, who covers agriculture at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Ellen. Well, thank you for having me, David. Okay, so here we are on Monday, and we are bracing for a busy week on Capitol Hill. It's the last week this month that both chambers of Congress are sub- scheduled to be in session together. So it's sort of a, it could be a real make or break week here to cut a deal on the debt limit. We had a meeting at the White House last Tuesday. It didn't go well by all accounts. There was no no movement there as both sides, as Democrats continue to push for a clean debt limit increase and Republicans want big spending cuts as part of it. Uh, neither side was, was willing to budge. They did have staff get together to talk privately to see where they might find common ground. They continued that through the weekend Laura, how do we think it's looking right now? Yeah, so I think right now what's interesting is definitely, you know, there there's no agreement and we're not getting that close from what it seems in terms of public comments. We still have a while to go here, but I think we are starting to see some signs that there is real, you know, negotiating going on and that we could be on a path that leads toward a deal here. Um one of our colleagues, Paul Krasak, and I spoke to some veterans of past debt limit fights uh, last week ahead of the first White House meeting. You know, one of the things they mentioned was these meetings often don't make quite as much progress, but you want to see that they're starting to get staff together in a room. You want to see that they're starting to sort of um, dictate those real conversations happening. And the one thing they didn't want to see was we're not meeting again, or we're going to slam each other publicly sort of beyond reproach. And we have certainly still seen some of that, um, you know, public sniping. Um, Speaker McCarthy is still taking, you know, a pretty hard tack that he's not seeing what he needs to see from Democrats from the White House. But, you know, administration officials and the president have seemingly softened their tone, are, are seemingly indicating that they think things are starting to happen. So 
I think we're starting to see some of those things that could be the path to a deal, but there's certainly so much in the details to be worked out here to see if Democrats and Republicans can find a way out of this. Yeah. And we did, I think, are sort of getting mixed signals because the president did did sound increasingly optimistic over the weekend, telling reporters that he's an optimist and he, he really thinks they can get this done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and administration officials were out on the talk shows over the weekend voicing similar sentiments here that the staff negotiations, they say, have been very constructive. And yet uh, Kevin McCarthy seems a little more resistant and is out there now apparently saying that uh, he hasn't seen much ground uh, for optimism yet and doesn't know if a deal will come together. So we are getting some mixed signals, but uh, these things do tend to get worked out at the staff level and the staff talks do seem to be um, pretty engaging. And we've already seen some of the elements of what a compromise could look like, I think. Obviously, the big one is is spending cuts. They want, you know, Republicans were looking for a decade worth of of caps on discretionary spending, um, similar to the deal they did in 2011 under Obama. Doesn't seem like they're going to be able to get a decade's worth of spending caps, but they might have some spending caps, right? It does seem like there's there's talk the staff are talking about the budget negotiations democrats would say separately from the debt limit but i don't know how you differentiate so i mean th- that's one of the keys right is blurring that distinction to get a deal because they are talking about spending caps we don't know you know could it be maybe a, for a couple of years is that a potential compromise yeah i mean i think that's a really important piece of this is the timeline that is needs to be worked out because you look at the next couple of years and and Democrats have sort of admitted, yeah, we, we're going to have to come to a budget agreement anyway, come the end of right. September with these House Republicans. So um, we had heard, you know, that there's been some discussion of two years of caps. It doesn't seem like that's, you know, in any way an agreement yet, but, you know, that would get through the next election. That's sort of while these groups we know will have this power. And um, the other questions are how long is the debt limit sort of pushed out? And I think we're also seeing some interest in negotiating around uh, rescinding COVID aid. That seems pretty viable. Um, In talking about permitting, that seems tricky because that's pretty complex policy where there's a lot of competing interests and disagreement. But I think there's interest on all sides and you could even see some kind of motion or framework toward that perhaps. Yeah. The the permitting thing is definitely I think grounds for compromise because there are there are elements of both parties that want to s- streamline the process for permitting some of these energy projects, right? The devil's in the detail of course on how you do that, but um it does seem conceivable that that energy permitting would be part of this package. One of the tougher elements here, though, Ellen, is is um, Republicans are pushing for w- work requirements in, in some of these welfare benefit programs and for Medicaid. Um, the president over the weekend su- kind of suggested he was open to some work requirements, noting as a senator he had voted for some 
some uh, work requirements on aid programs. He didn't, he wasn't specific. Um, Ellen, you've been covering that as part of the food stamps debate. Is there grounds here for, for reaching some sort of deal on, say, food stamp work requirements? Well, there are already work requirements. So what they're talking about, at least as proposed at this point, is expanding the pool of people who would be affected by the able-bodied adults without dependents who are subject at this point to time-limited aid on their, uh, and it's tied to meeting certain work requirements. Uh, what they proposed at this point, um, House Republicans, is raising the age from 49 to 55 as the, the range that would be affected. So you have people being affected by these time-limited benefits um, uh, for another five, six years. And for um, the able-bodied uh, adults without dependents, uh, basically it's uh, uh, you get three months of food benefits out of every 36 months. Uh, if you do not meet uh, work requirements of 80 hours of a month of work or of being involved in some related uh, job training. So do you think there's any way Democrats would be willing to increase the age eligibility here for these work requirements is the question? I think not. I'm, I, I don't know what the president's talking about, but um, House Democrats in particular are not uh, uh, agreeable to that because I think one of the things in terms of SNAP has been a, a, a supplemental nutrition assistance program, formerly known as food stamps has been a flashpoint in several uh, farm bills over the past few years. Um, this actual this proposal actually is the mildest of all proposals. Uh, past proposals uh, were more sweeping and would have affected more people. But I think where House Democrats are drawing the line is that if there is success on this, then there will be... Um, possibly coming back in the farm bill itself later in the year, um, a, a bigger bigger proposals and more sweeping proposals on SNAP, if not for this particular farm bill, which would be from 2023 to 2028, then for the next farm bill. So I, I think it would be seen as uh, opening the door and giving uh, House Republicans or Republicans success on this one point and uh uh, encouraging them to move on with other proposals. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's clearly a hurdle to a deal here. Is, is, is what we don't know is how insistent would Republicans be on new work requirements here for some of these programs like food stamps, and certainly by proposing it on Medicaid, that's a that's a real. Uh, I mean, that's a real tricky one because Medicaid doesn't have work requirements so far, and Democrats are really resistant. I think to that idea. Um, to get health care that you'd have to work. That, that's, that would be a whole new ball game. Um, so it does seem like those are some real hurdles here to reaching a deal. But on the other hand, uh, now one, one, one uh, place that's really grist for compromise seems to be the COVID money, right? Because uh, th they've been talking about rescinding, clawing back some of the unspent pandemic aid uh, that's still sitting there. That's kind of easy because it's money sitting on the table that you can just take back and count that as a savings. And I was surprised, Laura, that 
you know, Republicans had had put that in their bill to raise the debt limit that the House passed last month. Um, but what surprised me was last week, McCarthy opened the door to counting that as part of the discretionary spending cuts. Now, that that's a big deal. It, it gets a little wonky here with the accounting. But what he's saying there is, this, he said there's 50, 60 billion dollars of unspent COVID money. And that could be part of this $131 billion that they'd have to cut to meet his promise of paring back discretionary spending back to the fiscal 2022 levels. That's almost half of the discretionary cuts then at that point. If you count if you count the COVID money as discretionary spending cuts, which they really aren't, but if he's willing to count it that way now, right, that gets you a long way to meeting his target of discretionary spending cuts without having to, and that's money that wouldn't be spent anyway. And that's, those are money that wouldn't get appropriated next year anyway, you know? So it's sort of fudging the numbers, um, which surprised me that McCarthy was willing to do that because cutting that discretionary spending was a big pledge he made to his own conservative base to win the speakership. And it's going to be very interesting to me to see is his base okay with that? If if the pledge to pare back discretionary spending now means tapping unspent COVID money, is that cool? I mean, do you think that's going to fly? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think the COVID money seems really ripe for agreement, in in particular because it's not just cost savings; it's also a message that. We're out of the COVID pandemic. This is not something we need anymore. And that's a political message that I think a lot of people, in, you know, Republicans have wanted to send for a while. And I think, you know, Democrats at this point are probably on board with. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting, you know, how you mentioned earlier as well, the diverging rhetoric. This could also be almost a sign of McCarthy trying to make a deal easier and I think there's a dynamic to watch here where I think it's significant that the president, the administration seems to be indicating, yeah, we're we're negotiating. That was the big sticking point for them. They're having conversations. They seem to be sort of moving their rhetoric toward a deal. I think in terms of McCarthy, we might see him making some pretty you know, harsh, I'm pressing harder statements up until the final days, because he has to, he has to build trust with his conference. He is, we spoke with some former Republican aides about this last week. And one of the things they talked about to me was that McCarthy is doing two things right now. He's trying to get a debt limit deal, and he's trying to shore up, defend his speakership that he won, you know, on very thin margins after a very tough fight earlier this year. And so I think, like you said, it, it, it absolutely could be an issue if his conservative flank feels that he's, you know, fudged some numbers and not gotten a tough enough deal. Um, I think that's part of why we'll see tough rhetoric from him until the end. So he can go back to his conference and say, look, even if you don't vote for this in the end, I got everything I could out of Democrats. And, you know, that is going to be his secondary challenge, I think, in the weeks ahead. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And and it also explains, Laura, I think why there's real um, Democrats are really leery of of cutting this deal with McCarthy when it comes to spending, because there's a deep distrust there that McCarthy could even deliver his own caucus in a, on a vote on that. Um, if he were to make a bipartisan compromise, would the votes be there in the House to pass it? You know, I, I, I was talking just the other day with with Chris Murphy, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, a, a senior appropriator, who's, who said, look, he doesn't think they have a good negotiating partner there. He considers the House Republican caucus to be so extreme, in his view, that he said at some point you have to look at who you're who you're negotiating with and is there grounds there to even get anywhere and he was just so distrustful that he didn't see how a deal could come together he said in the next 2 weeks because to him any bipartisan deal on spending has to include tax increases on corporations and and billionaires right and he knows that the McCarthy's caucus is not going to do that so from his standpoint, he's he's saying, I don't see how you even get a deal. There's no way they're going to get tax increases as part of any bipartisan deal. So Mc- Murphy may be a little bit of an outlier here, uh, and there may be there may be people willing to cut a bipartisan deal that you know that doesn't include tax increases. I think, but it shows I think the deep distrust that has to be bridged if there's going to be a deal around spending which in turn is instrumental to getting a deal on raising the debt limit. Yeah, I I definitely think there is a distrust and frustration among Democrats with this Republican conference. But, you know, at the end of the day, Republicans won the House and McCarthy has the gavel. And so they have to deal with him. And I think, um, you know, like you mentioned, I think there have been a lot of Senate Democrats who've said, well, Biden's budget, which increases taxes on the rich, on big corporations, that's our plan to lower deficits. But Republicans would never vote for that. And in, you know, on the other side, some of these things on the table from Republicans, like energy permitting reforms or like budget, you know, top lines of some sort, those may be things that are, are a little bit easier. There's there's more agreement in some form, even if Democrats don't want these spending cuts, eventually they have to get a budget deal, which is something Senate Democrats acknowledge as well. Right. And the sticking point there, though, is they have to get a budget deal, but they only need a budget deal for the coming fiscal year. They don't need 10 years worth of spending caps right right now. They don't even need two years right now if they don't want it. So the question is, would Republicans be satisfied with a single year capped i mean and then the question is what is the cap because that would be the whole ball game yeah uh or would they insist on two or three years of caps or or the, the full 10 we don't know how that's playing out yet um yeah. that that to me is is a real battleground that is yet to be resolved so just trying to look ahead at our week here um folks i mean you know there is a time crunch. Biden is supposed to leave town on Wednesday for his big trip to the G7 conference in Japan. Uh, that's why he said he thinks that this meeting on the debt limit would happen Tuesday, uh, which is tomorrow as we tape. Uh, hard for me to believe that they're going to have a deal by tomorrow. It seems like they're <laughs> that would be 
way premature. Um, and so what do we expect out of, out of a Tuesday meeting? Because um, it seems to me if they do in fact meet Tuesday, they wouldn't want to meet and then have the same have have nothing to say again as they did last week, right? And have the, and come out and and look weak with the same kind of standoff. They they would have to show some kind of progress if they actually meet Tuesday. I would think. Anybody disagree with that? I mean, I think it it definitely depends how you define progress. I mean, one thing that um, had been flagged to us. I know Rohit Kumar, who has been through this before, mentioned it and is now at PWCM, that, you know, one of the things that can come out of these meetings is you say, here are, here's one administration staffer, here's one McCarthy staffer, get in a room. And uh, Rohit's been in that position before in in 2011. Um, So I think one thing to keep in mind is progress might still be incremental. Um, It might still look like we're going to empower two people to hash out the final deal or, um, you know, we're going to, you know, have some small advancements. I, I'm sort of doubtful there's major progress tomorrow, but I think in these sorts of negotiations from what Raids have said, the progress might be pretty incremental right until the final days. When you have to so that's what, that's what we've got to see is what can they claim as progress out of a Tuesday meeting if in fact they meet Tuesday who knows um, it sounds like they're pretty determined but we don't know if that gets delayed again there was supposed to be a meeting last Friday and it got postponed so we'll see what happens on that meanwhile there was another White House meeting last week um, on the farm bill uh, with the key agriculture players meeting with the president and uh, it's gotten much less attention, of course, than the debt limit, which has been all-consuming. But the farm bill is a big deal. There's there's tens of billions of dollars at stake there. It gets reauthorized, I think, every five years. Ellen, you can correct me. Um, they're facing a fall deadline, I believe, for getting a new one. What do we know about where talks are, and what's what are the big obstacles there? Well, um, there was this meeting on Thursday. Uh, the president, um, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, uh, Bruce Reed, the assistant to the president and deputy chief of staff, Louisa um, Terrell, uh, assistant to the president and director of the Office of Legislative Affairs, met with the uh, chairman and ranking members of the House and Senate Agriculture Committees. Um, the uh, lawmakers put out joint statements afterwards that, um, you know, they had a, uh, uh, a constructive meeting, but no details. Uh, and uh, Senate Agriculture Ranking Member um, John Bozeman uh, spoke with a publication and said that the meeting had been cordial, but again, no details and no indication at this point of follow-up. Um, meetings, but I, it, it's I think significant in that the White House is indicating that the Farm Bill is important, that it should be remembered. Um, the White House has um, a particular interest in conservation programs in the that would be addressed by the Farm Bill um, that complement uh, separate funding that was provided through. Uh, Reconciliation and the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, so it has a stake in the various programs, um, as well as with um, 
SNAP, which is actually mandatory funding and not discretionary. So it's a it's a sign that the White House is uh, uh, interested in the Farm Bill, has a stake in the Farm Bill, but uh, what those parameters are at this point is unknown. The current Farm Bill does expire September 30th. Um, there still seems to be a um, uh, a debate among those who are following the process as to whether there will be a farm bill uh, finished this year. Um, you know, there's been some discussion about the possibility of maybe a, an extension. Um, the lawmakers, the four key members or the four corners, as they are called, have not publicly said anything along those lines, but they do acknowledge that the the time frame is tight. Um, a lot of the ag groups are uh, petitioning for uh, things that would result in more spending in the farm bill, um, but there's not that additional funding for the farm bill at this point. So how they're going to manage to juggle all of that is a, is a question. And fair to say, though, that the biggest partisan fight here that has to be resolved is really the food stamps. Um, that's the partisan biggest partisan, but there are subfights within the farm bill. There are usually regional fights that come down to the wire at the end. Those are not um, uh, as prominent at this point, uh, while everybody's focused on on SNAP. But uh, that is a, a major hurdle that has to be gotten over. And then once they get over that, then there will be subfights um, along regional lines. Um, because you grow some crops are more dominant in some areas of the country than in other areas, and they're all competing for limited funding. Yeah. But just to explain the, the main ideological clash here on food stamps, if you can flesh that out a little, it seems like Republicans are very concerned that the program is just growing exponentially, too many people on it too easily. Is that is that the main thing? And Democrats saying these are just folks who need help and we can't we shouldn't penalize people for trying to get food. I think the difference is the ultimate goal. Uh, Republicans will often talk about the truly needy, and that's kind of undefined. Um, there is concern about the growth in the program. And also, they, they tend to view um, staff recipients as some untapped workforce for whenever there's a shortage among small businesses or corporate America. Um, you will also often hear them make references to that. Although, According to a lot of folks who follow um, SNAP and who've studied it, many of the folks who are, are able to work um, do work. Um, uh, you know, they rely on SNAP because the work that they do is either low wage or unreliable. The hours fluctuate, the pay fluctuates. So there's a, just a difference about the ultimate mission of SNAP between the Republicans and the Democrats. The Democrats see it as an all encompassing sort of financial safety net for the poor and working poor. Um, and Republicans question how big that net is and whether there's some untapped workforce there that they could make use of. Yeah. And it is it is a huge program with tens of billions of dollars. It serves more than 40 million people, right? Right. Um, the argument that the Democrats make is that the bulk of those people, I think it's about 42 million at this point, are children, um, the elderly, and some disabled. Um, with able-bodied adults, both you know as parents or heads of households, as well as those without dependents, being sort of the smaller share of the overall enrollment. 
And it's those able-bodied adults that Republicans are trying to zero in on and make sure they're they're trying to get a job. Uh, that's who they're zeroing in on at this point. Um, uh, now, the description of why they're doing that has has varied. Uh, has been, been promoted as a you know way to get people into the workforce by you know cracking down and making sure that they're looking for work and getting jobs, and also has been talked about as a way to maybe trim some of the SNAP spending. It would not be um, probably a significant trim, but it would be a trim. Um, and again, I think where Democrats are on on this is that if Republicans make significant gains on this proposal, there's still the farm bill to come and other things that the Republicans have sought uh, in terms of changes in the past that might be resurrected during the actual farm bill consideration. So it might be a little harder to fight that next time around. So no no obvious sign of a compromise here to to get this done. <laughs> well, I mean, people are, are very creative, so we'll see. Um, um, I think in the end, um, what will happen if they do act on a farm bill this year is that the House farm bill will probably be something that by necessity and politics within the Republican um, conference uh, will be something that probably most Democrats cannot support. Um, there'll be House Democrats will be relying on Senate Democrats led by Senate Agriculture Chairman um, Debbie Stabenow to write a farm bill um, that they that they can support and that will be the basis for a compromise. So it, it has happened before. The House is, uh, I think, the 2014 to 2018 farm bills. The House sent out bills that Democrats did not support. They got them over the threshold and out of the out of the House. And then the Senate said, "Okay, we can take this, this, and that, and we won't take that." And then sent a bill back over, and they they worked and came up with a compromise that, in the end, didn't have some of the proposed changes to to SNAP. Okay, a lot to keep track of here. It's going to be a busy week. Uh, but we will be covering it all for you. That's all the time we have for today. My thanks again to Laura Weiss and Ellen Ferguson. Thank you both. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. If you like what you hear at this show, you should sign up for the CQ Budget Newsletter, which hits your inbox every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. You can find all of our coverage at CQ.com or RollCall.com. That's all for us for now. Thanks again for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time.